and welcome to the Dot Ball Podcast. I'm Ken Borland, a cricket writer in South Africa, and it's a great pleasure to be joined by Andrew Sampson, the doyen of cricket statisticians, uh, both here in South Africa and internationally. Uh, this is a podcast that will focus on the South African game, uh, both the pod, uh, the Proteas and uh, domestically, but we'll touch on uh, international events as well. And uh, Speaking of international events, it's the World Test Championship final uh, on at the moment. And Andrew, you busy watching that? It, it's today has just been the best thing uh, that Test cricket can offer, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty much as good as it gets in as, in as big a game as it gets, I suppose. World Test Championship final, first one ever. Um, the rain looked as though it had completely ruined it and looked like heading to draw on the final day. But uh, New Zealand are bold. India out for 170 and chasing 139. They're currently 33 for one, as I speak, and they should go on to win it from here. Lots of overs left, eh? So there's, uh, as long as the weather plays plays along. Mm. And it is. It's, it's the sun's shining at last in Southampton. Mm. Wow. It's uh, it's the, the beauty of longer-form cricket and someone who knows all about that uh, and wonderful to have him with us again. Uh, all those cliches about don't change a winning team certainly apply. Uh, but also because we had a wonderful thing to celebrate the other day, a left-arm spinner taking South Africa's first test hat-, hat trick uh, since 1960. Paul Harris, you must have been delighted. I was. I was even more delighted that not even one of them spun. So imagine, <laughs> if, imagine, if he starts, imagine if he starts spinning them and he'll really be a handful. No, look, I'm really, really uh, so happy for uh, for Kesh. I mean, obviously, come a long way with him. Uh, you know, worked quite a bit with him over the years, and he's worked incredibly hard. Um, you know, he had a few issues with his actions sort of 18 months ago, two years, 18 months ago, which I'm glad to see now are fixed, and, uh, and he's bowling beautifully. So he really deserves all the accolades he can get. Uh, um, it's quite sort of ironic that uh, a South African spinner gets the first one in 60 years. But, uh, you know, I'm not complaining. He certainly deserves it. And, and what a catch to get the, um, to get the hat-trick. Sure. It, was, uh, it was obviously meant to be and really, really happy for him. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as well because that St. Lucia pitch was certainly seam-friendly the whole way through. Uh, so it was great that uh, Captain Dean Elgo was trusting his spinner um, at that time. And there does seem to be uh, a bit of a, a new attitude towards spin in the protest camp. Do, do you feel, Paul, that they're going to back spin a bit more than maybe they did uh, before Mark Boucher was there? Look, certainly before uh, Mark was there, uh, certainly. I mean, when you, when, you, when you have a fast bowling coach, you're pretty much in a hiding to nothing. So <laughs> as a spinner, as we previously had, it was sort of very fast bowling, uh, sort of heavy, which you can kind of understand in South African conditions. But I think we're seeing it across the board. I think we're seeing it in first-class cricket in South Africa. Uh, the spinners are bowling a lot more overs. They're getting a lot more wickets. Uh, we've seen Sir Brian come through the system as well now, getting a lot of wickets. It almost seems like every time you look, the spinners are bowling sides out in first-class cricket, which is great to see. Um, you know, captains are um, are backing their spinners more. It, it maybe doesn't bode well for how we're playing spin, but uh, it certainly uh, does bode well for spinners in the country. I mean, I don't know. I know it's 19, a 19-man squad, but I mean, maybe Andrew can tell us. I'm not sure there's ever been a South African squad with four spinners in it. So, um, you know, it's great to see. I know Bouch is a horses-for-courses kind of guy. Uh, he always likes to play a spinner in his side, and it was great to see. I think they sort of gave Cash a few overs to see what would happen, and um, obviously things started happening for him, and then uh, the rest is history. 
But again, I mean, it can't happen to a nicer guy. It can't happen to a guy that's worked harder than him. And, you know, he doesn't always get the accolades that he deserves. Um, he's now got, I think, the most test wickets ever for a spinner in South Africa. And uh, there isn't, as I said, anyone who deserves it more than Keshav. Andrew, anything uh, to add there? The, uh, certainly the four spinners um, is is quite a landmark for South Africa. And I, I do know, chatting to Mark Boucher, that before that first test in Pakistan earlier in the year, he actually wanted to play three spinners in the starting lineup. Uh, Maharaj, obviously, but also Tabay Shamsi and George Linder as a as a kind of uh, all rounder spin option. Uh, unfortunately, Shamsi pulled up with a backspasm on the day of the game. But when would have been the last time that uh, South Africa had played three spinners in an eleven? Um, they have done so since readmission um, a couple of times, not very often. Uh, but four spinners, of course, uh, famously in 1906, South Africa had four googly bowlers in the 11. Jeez, um, so it does go back a bit, obviously, but it was very early days of googly bowling. Um, so, but certainly since readmission, I don't think they would have had four in a squad before. Uh, obviously helps we have expanded squads with COVID. But also, the spinners are, as you say, coming into the game in South Africa. We, you know, it used to be back back in your day, Paul, you were the, pretty much the only option to play as a spinner for South Africa. They weren't, they weren't, thanks, they weren't, thanks for that. Yeah, but, I mean, there, there weren't others competing really for the, for the place now, whereas you've now got Maharaj, Linda, Shamsi, Sir Brian, Mutasami. You can list a whole lot of them, um, which is very unusual. So, so that has definitely been a change in South African cricket lately. Yeah, I think you're been, right. As uh, soon as as soon as as soon as the one that was uh, competing qualified, I was dropped. So you're 100 correct. <laughs> Sorry about that, but but you know what I mean. It, it, there I weren't a lot of spinners yeah. around in those days. Yeah. Oh, Andrew. Oh, uh, I mean, Paul Harris says how much he respects you at the start of the program, and then you <laughs> you dump him like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, Honesty comes out. Eh? <laughs> there, there, there's been quite a lot of discussion. Uh, Lately, about uh, well, not lately, but just in the last couple of days, about Keshav Maharaj's place in the, the the pantheon of South African spinners. Is he our best spinner ever, uh, present company included? Um, and you know, I, I felt duty bound to mention that uh, you know, back as Andrew said in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, South Africa's four googly bowlers uh, were considered a real world force bowling on matting. And uh, Paul, did you ever bowl on matting? You must have enjoyed it with your height and uh, the extra sure, bounce you I get. Did, actually, I played a bit of cricket in Holland. Um, uh, hmm. I, I was fortunate enough to play for VRA, and we were the only team in the in the in the country that had a turf cricket. But it's certainly, when we played away games, we would play on the matting. But they, were, they got quite clever. So if um, if the opposition team had an overseas player with a spinner, they would stretch the matting so it wouldn't spin as much. <laughs> and obviously if they had one, they'd keep it nice and loose and then it would spin quite a bit. So uh, they were quite cross, crafty when it came to the, how they would stretch their matting. <laughs> Fantastic. Beautiful ground, Amstelfian. It is. Mm. It's, it's one of my favourites, actually. Yeah. Uh, fortunate to play a, a season of cricket there. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, if I uh, I'd said to myself if I if I went back and played sort of amateur overseas cricket again, I would go there. Um, it just so happened that I went to Warwickshire after that, but I, I really enjoyed uh, um, playing out there. It was it was a lot of fun. And Amsterdam's not the worst city in the planet either. No. And uh, speaking of googly bowlers, it was great to see in the last week that Aubrey Faulkner, uh, a great South African player from around about that time, uh, was inducted into the ICC. Hall of Fame uh, uh, in the last few days. 
and uh, certainly one of South Africa's greatest all-rounders, but not often mentioned, hey, Andrew? Yeah, no, he definitely was one of the greatest all-rounders South Africa have had. Um, Career interrupted a little bit by the war, ended up going to England, but he averaged 40 with a bat and I can't remember offhand with the ball, but it was about 28 and 25 tests, which is quite a lot in those days. Uh, He scored big runs and, and as you say, as a googly bowler, took lots of wickets as well. He was a a genuinely great all-rounder. I actually have his stature because it's on the same page as uh, uh, test hat-tricks for South Africa. Uh, Aubrey Faulkner, 25 tests, 1,754 runs at an average of 40.79 when... I don't think there would have been many other South Africans averaging 40 then um, and yeah. 82 wickets at 26.58 and that would have been playing just against England and Australia not so Andrew Yeah, just England and Australia and there's, there's, um, I'm quite chuffed that I got the averages fairly close yes, Good effort, sorry <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I'd rather put you on the spot yeah, there no, As you say, a really top class all-rounder um, very much worthy of <laughs> Hall of Fame status Guys, what were your uh, other takeaways from the Test Series? Obviously, um, very pleasing to win 2-0. Paul? Sure, it was. Um, I think it came at the right time for this uh, South African unit. You've got a new captain in Dean Olga. Um, You know, he will lead from the front. We all know that. Uh, you know, you have to say, I mean, it's, you can only play against who you put against, but at West Indian batting lineup, we're not... Uh, we're not the, the R. Kelly of batting lineups, so you got to say that. But having said that, they uh, they really did uh, bowl magnificently well. I mean, I thought our seamers were were almost ruthless. It, it, it sort of uh, reminded me of uh, of you know watching when you had Polly Dale and, and Mornay Morkel running in and bowling. There was hardly any freebies. Um, I was incredi- incredibly impressed with Ngidi. Um, you know, he tends to bowl the hard bad ball uh, now and then, and in this series, he really looked like he was fit, healthy not nursing any niggles and uh, and really didn't bowl too many bad balls at all. Um, he really seems to be growing quite well, uh, which is great to see. And obviously the rest of the, the fast bowlers we know are, are world class. And uh, and then obviously Kesh coming through. So it was great to see. I would like to see us. Obviously the conditions weren't conducive to getting big runs. Uh, you were never quite in on those wickets. But I'd like to see a few more of our guys getting sort of big hundreds. But I think that's going to come with time. Yeah, I'm with you, Paul. I, I think Lungi and Gidi's form is is one of the things that pleased me the most. Uh, we, we all know uh, Rabada's world class, and uh, Orkia's had a great year, but Lungi coming back from injury and just to see the skill and the accuracy he bowled with, and uh, also yeah, pushed the odd ball up into the high 130s, which is which is good. Um, so that was fantastic to see. Uh, I was also pleased that Mark Boucher made the point that. Um, even though the West Indies were ranked higher than South Africa before the series, that he would now like to see whether we can uh, perform the same way when we put under pressure. Uh, Andrew, do you think that's a, a fair comment from the coach? Yeah, it sounds fair enough to me. It's certainly, you know, beating the West Indies is generally regarded as quite easy these days. Um, they're not the team that they were, obviously, but they're um, still very competitive on their home ground. So to beat them as comprehensively as South Africa did, was a pretty impressive performance. Uh, the bowling attack, as Paul said, also is coming together very nicely now. Uh, the, four, the three seamers plus the all-rounder plus the spinner. Uh, the bowling averages of the series are interesting. South Africa, for South Africa, Heinrich Nokia took eight wickets at 19.62, uh, 
and he was last in the bowling averages. <laughs> um, so it's the first time South Africa have ever had a test series, uh, two or more match series, uh, where no bowler averaged more than 20 in the series. Mm. That sure. is amazing. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Uh, any other statistical highlights, Andrew, from the, from the series that are worth sharing? Just back to the series average, 88 runs by Jermaine Blackwood was West Indies' leading run scorer, so they didn't even have a player scoring 100 runs in the whole series. Uh, but the biggest statistical highlight, obviously, was Keshav Maharaj's hat-trick. Um, 111 hat-trick balls South Africa have bowled since uh, Jeff Griffin took that famous hat-trick at Lords in 1960 before being no-balled out of the game for throwing. And it was the it was the, finally got the hat-trick after those 111 balls. Good old Nelson. Paul, why do I think you you once took two and two? Were you ever on a hat-trick, Paul? I think I was once. I don't, I don't remember when. I think it might have actually even been in my first test match uh, against India, but I can't remember. I think yeah, I was India rings a bell, once. I must say. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but clearly not, uh, not, not, not to be. I think... Uh, <laughs> That's, you know, as I said, I, I can't be happier. I mean, for me, obviously, slightly biased. Uh, for a spinner to have it is uh, is amazing. To get it for the first time in sort of 60 years and what do you say, 111 uh, hat trick balls um, is for me. It, it can't be it can't be better, and especially a left arm spinner, and also one that I um, you know quite enjoy as a, as a human being as well. So it's great to see. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll know uh, from having worked with him, but uh, just how much work has Keshav Maharaj put into his game? Uh, over the last few years, look, I had to at some stages uh, threaten to, uh, to to hit him with a cricket bat to, to get him to, to stop bowling. So, um, you know, he's one of those guys that likes to uh, that likes to bowl, uh, likes to bowl a lot of overs, and is never is never happy. Uh, when I was with him, he had a few sort of kinks in his armour when it came to his action, which has now been uh, has been sorted. He's coming nice and close to the stumps. Um, he's getting nice and over the top. He's not bowling sort of that round arm. Uh, stuff anymore and undercutting the ball. He's getting lots of revs in the ball, hence the drift, and that's why he got those wickets that he got. Um, the drift actually did the best when he's, he reckons that ball that wasn't his best. It probably wasn't, but uh, but the drift did uh, did the batsman, and that's the reason why he got the, the inside edge. So you know we get we get cash on a wicket that's got a bit of spin on it. I tell you what, it's going to be tough to face him because he's bowling wicket to wicket, getting lots of revs as I mentioned, and uh, and he's not missing. He used to uh, bowl one or two bad balls every now and then. At the moment, uh, he's not bowling any of those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andrew, do you want to give us a score update for the World Test Championship? Because we, we're about to start talking T20. Um, and I know you, you'd rather talk Test cricket. <laughs> 42, 42 for one. Um, uh, Ken Williams has just survived a review. He was given out uh, LBW to Ashman and ooh, reviewed it, okay. obviously. And it was missing legs. So ah, still looking okay. good for New Zealand. Jolly good, yeah. After after what happened to them in the fifty over World Cup, I think a lot of people are are pulling for them to uh, get through there. Uh, second team, basically. Yes, yes. Um, we now head the Proteas obviously into five T Twenties uh, against the West Indies, and uh, it's it's obviously a lot of importance on this series because the T Twenty World Cup is coming later this year and. Great to see the West Indies have named uh, a really strong squad. Uh, Paul, uh, that West Indies team with all the T20 specialists back, powerful outfit, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think we can expect a completely different uh, sort of uh, kettle of fish from these uh, West Indians in T20 cricket. Is there 
format. It's where they're really good at. It's where they've got all their players that go around the world. That a few of them are now coming back into the setup, which is good to see. I mean, you want the best players play, and then it'll give us a good judge of where we are. Um, I do think that this African T20 side is better than what they have performed. Um, I think there's a bit of confidence now, so I don't think it's certainly it won't be uh, uh, easy going for that West Indian side. But you've got to think with all those stars back uh, playing at home. Um, you know, pretty there's not going to be crowds because it can be quite fun there. Mm-hmm. But um, you've got to say that the West Indians are favourites. Um, but having said that, you know, T20 cricket, strange game. You know, you only need one or two players to do well, and uh, there's a bit of confidence in that squad now. And uh, you know, you win one or two. And, and anything can happen. But certainly, as I said, favourites has to be the West Indies. Just on uh, the, the South African team that they're going to put out there, I guess the first question is Temba Bavuma is the captain, so he's obviously going to play. Uh, where would you bat him, Paul? I think he needs to open the batting. Um, I think that's his, uh, his position. I don't, think, I don't think he can come down, down the order. Um, I think that's sort of that number one, two spot, I think. Other guys might shift uh, position to make space for him there, but uh, as the captain, obviously, certainly going to be playing, and um, he's done quite. Well. He's done very well in that position, so certainly, uh, I think that is the place where he should bat. Um, with the field up, um, you know, he can. He's shown that he can go over the top and he can and he can make a difference there. So certainly, that's where I would bat him. Um, if anything, three, but uh, certainly one and two. Okay, because you kind of answered my my next question, which was going to be. Quinny de Kock obviously opens, but uh, do you go with Markram as an opener? you saying you would prefer Bavuma to open. Who, who would you then have at number three? Uh, well, then I'd have Markram at three. So ah, yeah, that, okay. that would be your... I think, I think Markram's got to play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's... Uh, he's I, I see him as an X-factor cricketer. You know, he scores with the back from the front foot. Uh, he's just an, I think he's just an amazing cricketer. So for me, he has to play. Um, but yeah, I think he's more suited to um, to number three than what uh, what Temba would be. So I would open with Temba and, uh, and have him at three. Is there is there a particular reason that you would uh, prefer to have Temba open and, and Markram at three? Um, given that Markram is obviously open to probably more sure. than batting yeah, at three. Just just because the field's up, I think that as the sort of field spreads, I think Markram's got the sort of better power game than what uh, Temba Bavuma has to sort of hit boundaries in the, once the field spreads. I think you want to give Temba as much time as possible with the field in um, so that he can sort of, he's more sort of hitting the ball on the ground, piercing the gaps. He can go over the top, but he's not known for the power game. So, you know, you don't kind of want Temba coming in in the 10th over. You want him sort of there in the beginning. If he's, if he's on 60 by then, then great. Then he can sort of, he's in and he can hit a few out the ground. But certainly... You don't want him coming in fresh in the 10th, 12th over if you get a really good start. Yeah, and of course, Aidan Markram, we, we've seen in uh, 50 over cricket for the Titans, um, has quite often batted at number four and can certainly clear the boundary. So uh, that does give uh, credence to your opinion there, Paul. Um, just, uh, I suppose we would all agree that um, in the makeup of the team, we've got our three quick bowlers, Rabada, Nokia, and Gidi. Shamsi as a spinner, you, you'd probably want to play a, a second spinner being in the West Indies. Do we all agree on that, Andrew? Yep, I think you want to play second spinners uh, as much as you can in 2020 in general. Um, and of course, the World Cup will be in either India or UAE, which is where, you know, there's places, there's places that help spinners the most. So you definitely want a second spinner if you can. Hmm. Paul, you you happy with uh, those three quicks sure. and, and two spinners? I think with 
I think with George Linda in the sort of in the setup now, you can afford to do that from a from a balanced point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can actually uh, you can he can come in six or seven. You can actually even bat up the order if you need someone to go and give it a smack. So he gives you that balance. So I would imagine he would come into the into the mix. Um, certainly, um, I agree. I think that uh, you know you must try and get as close as you can to that team that you want to play at the T20 World Cup. There aren't too many games left. So kind of, uh, I know you want horses for courses, uh, but uh, in the West Indies can be a bit, also can be a bit slow sometimes in the one-day stuff and be quite flat, which is pretty similar to what you're going to get in India or the UAE. Uh, so I agree. I think uh, two spinners will be uh, the order of the day, and uh, you might even sort of sneak another all-rounder in there if you can. Yeah, well, that le- it's kind of what I was building up to asking you next, because um, Markram can obviously bowl a bit as the sixth bowler, and... Uh, does anyone object to Van Dusen and Miller both being definites uh, in the team? No, I agree with that. With you with mm. that, which then brings us to that that number. You know, there's one spot left, and uh, do we go for another all rounder like a Dwayne Pretorius, or would you like to see another specialist batsman uh, play, Paul? Look, I, would, I mean, I would love to have seen Beth Lequire be in better form, maybe, uh, and fit and rearing to go. Uh, but been, I always thought that he, you know, I kind of thought at one stage he'd be that sort of batting all-rounder that could slot in. But his form's been a bit of an issue. And uh, look, I'm I'm one for, I think, six bowlers, you know, well, five specialist bowlers and then one sort of uh, make-bit bowler in Aidan Markham should be enough. I know there's always, someone always goes in T20 cricket, but... You know, ideally you'd want sort of seven options if you can, but if you can't, uh, you know, I'm a big option for getting your best batsman in there. And you know, not a lot of, a lot of people are talking about Faf Duplessis. I mean, he's still available to play. Um, you know, he had an unbelievable IPL. Um, you know, he's a seriously, seriously uh, um, um, gifted cricketer. Um, he's got all the experience in the world, so I would like to see a little, a little bit more experience in that lineup. So um, um, I would, uh, I would start him in there and shift everyone up one. Yeah, there was talk about Fiff actually getting a, a, a late call-up uh, to the squad. There were contractual issues uh, because uh, if he had originally gone on tour, uh, because he's not a CSA-contracted player, he then actually basically wouldn't have been paid for the tour. He would have just had match fees, uh, which, as Paul will know, are, are really just a top-up thing. Um, so there were negotiations, and then unfortunately Fiff got concussed playing in the Pakistan Super League, that. which I think has um, put paid to him playing uh, in the West Indies. But uh, my, my information is he's certainly not out of the picture uh, as far as the T20 World Cup goes. Um, Andrew, the history of T20 cricket and, and your own opinion on, do you feel it's a, a good idea to load teams with all-rounders, you know, play Linda, play, play uh, Peklaquire or Pretorius as well? Uh, or is it a format that uh, rewards specialists? I, I guess the thing about the sixth bowler um, is that you're probably only looking at him bowling two overs anyway. Yeah, exactly. I think it's much more of a specialist game. I mean, if you know, in a one-day game, for example, you want, you want your number eight to be able to bat because he's potentially got to come in and hit the winning runs or mm. smack a few at the end of the innings if they're batting first. But if number eight's batting in a 2020 game, you're probably losing. Sure. So you don't need him to be a batsman. So I would definitely pack the side with specialists as much as possible. Mm. Um, although you obviously do need to have a sixth bowler um, because of you know your potential injuries and whatever else, and, and just different options depending on the pitches. But uh, and South Africa doesn't really have. I mean, Markram, as you mentioned, maybe the only one who's a batsman who does bowl a bit. So 
So, so in that case, you know, potentially you are looking at an all-rounder in the South African side rather than, a, than another batsman who doesn't bowl. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, of course, the uh, both teams now moving to Granada, the Nas- Granada National Cricket Stadium, hey. uh, for the T Twenty series. What, what, what do you know about Granada? Uh, it's it's going to be a bit more typically West Indian, low and slow, isn't it? Uh, probably, yeah. Um, it's, I can tell you, it's a great island, Granada. <laughs> um, I saw a World Cup game or two there in '07, and also the England Test match in 2015. Great place to go. Um, but as you say, probably fairly low and slow, um, as most of the West Indies pitches have been. Although they are definitely changing that in recent times. They have they have improved the pitches in the last year or two, but certainly the last 10, 12 years, it's been low and slow mostly. Mm. Paul, you ever uh, played in Grenada? I have not, no. I was fortunate enough to be in St. Lucia, though, and it's not, mm-hmm. can't get too much better than that. But anyway, <laughs> having said that, I haven't been to Grenada, no. Um, but I've um, sort of... I knew I was doing this, so I had a little look, uh, did a bit of research, can you believe it? Mm, and, really? um, and yeah, it is. It's generally quite low and quite slow, uh, typical sort of West Indian conditions. Um, having said that, sort of the T20 games, the pitches are generally pretty pretty good. So, you know, that's more on the sort of test wickets where it sort of can deteriorate, where I don't think it will too much, uh, uh, obviously, during a T20 game. So, with all the batters and all the sort of world stars that are going to be available, I expect a few runs. Taking the, the series results out of the, the picture for the moment, Paul, what are you hoping to see uh, from the T20 squad uh, in this series? I think I'd like to see a bit of consistency. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and also get, let's find our best 11. Um, you know, the problem with selection is, is that you ask 10 people, you're probably going to get 10 different answers, um, especially when a side isn't settled. So I'd like to see some sort of consistency, first of all, with selection and secondly, with performances. And try and get as close to that uh, that sort of best eleven that we can get. Um, or let's go best twelve. I mean, let's not try and you know sort of uh, have the only so that on the field are going to be the guys who so they're going to rotate. So let's go best twelve. If we can get the best, our best twelve out of this series, and obviously a series win would be ideal. But uh, if we can play some good competitive cricket uh, and take a very good West Indian team down to the wire, I think we'd probably be happy with that as a build up going into the into the World Cup. Mm, yes, indeed. Andrew, any last thoughts apart from go New Zealand? <laughs> go New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, firstly, I, I can't argue. I can't argue about St Lucia with Paul because I haven't been there. Um, but yeah, I think obviously the T Twenty series, the main option, the main objective is to set up the the squad and the eleven for the World Cup. So hopefully, that'll be the main thing that they'll be able to get out of the series. And just one last thing, uh, Paul, you bowled yes. one hat trick ball in Test cricket. Did I? Ah. Yes. Okay. To Bryce McGain. Oh, she's like, <laughs> and oh, you didn't get him out. That was at Newlands. That was at Newlands. That was at Newlands. You got run out. Shane, that okay had a shocker, Shane. He did, yes. I just remember AB smashing him to all parts of Newlands. I actually got a funny story about that About that test. It was Albie Morkel's debut. I think it was also his one and only test match. And he was on the side of the field. He was padded up. And I think AB hit him for another six and said, oh, gosh, shame, man. This poor oak. Albie's first, the first two balls he ran down the wicket, he did for six, two sixes in a row. So I don't think he felt too sorry for him when he was batting. So, um, old Albie Morkel, he's a beauty. But yeah, no, that was shame. Old Bryce didn't have a great time. He's a, he's a sensitive soul, Albie Morkel, but he definitely can't resist hitting sixes when the uh, opportunity presents itself. And, oh, uh, shit, I, didn't know, I don't think I had a better opportunity to get a hat trick, did I? <laughs> no, probably not. No. 
Was that? Did did you bowl him again after he had been bowling? I mean, yes, he must have been pretty shell shocked. Was the last innings? I think it was McDonald, yeah. Ronald McDonald, and then it was Peter Siddle. That's yeah. right. First ball, and then I think yeah, I think I bowled one to him, and obviously it wasn't good enough. <laughs> to, to a guy <laughs> suffering. PTSD, and he managed to keep you out. Oh, well. Sure. Yeah, that's the story of my life. (laughs) And on that note, uh, it has come to the end uh, of this podcast. Uh, We'll be back, of course, after the T20 series to discuss what will hopefully be a very good Proteus showing. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed what you've heard on this podcast. And if you would like to communicate with us, ask us any questions or suggestions uh, or things you would like to discuss, uh, you can contact me on Twitter at Ken Borland. Thanks very much for your time and we will see you again.